The title of this morning's message is God Bless America. God Bless America. That statement, that declaration, that prayer, and that song has fallen on hard times in biblical circles. There are many professing Christians, many genuine Christians, that are not thinking biblically, who now refuse to say God Bless America, who now refuse to sing God Bless America, who feel it would be treason to Christ their King to do so. One of the goals of this message is to bring correction to that air with love, with grace, but with truth. God bless America should be sung heartily by every Christian in every state of this great nation, this greatest nation amongst the nations of men. Job 12 verse 23 says, He makes nations great and destroys them. He, God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, He makes nations great. There are some men so pious, so seemingly holy, that they can't say that any nation of man is great. But the Word of God itself says that God makes nations great. Now, not all nations are created equally, mind you. And I would argue, without hesitation, without apology, that God has made the United States of America the greatest nation the world has ever known. He makes nations great. Consider the founding documents of our nation, the Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. Most governments are established with documents that declare the authority of the government at the outset. Our nation is established declaring the authority of God, which gives individual rights, the right to life and liberty and pursuit of happiness to our nation's citizens. Our nation begins with the God of the Bible. Those men who established our nation, providentially led by God, were not by and large Christians, but they did have a Christian worldview. They did have a biblical world view. When they wrote in the Declaration of Independence that we have been given by our Creator certain inalienable rights, the right to life and liberty and pursuit of happiness, they were talking about the God of the Bible. Not the gods of Hinduism. Not the gods of the Norsemen. Not the gods of the Romans. Not the God of Islam. Not even the God of Roman Catholicism, the wafer. They were talking about the God of the Bible, the creator of Genesis 1-1, who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. He makes nations great, and He, He gives certain inalienable rights, the right to life and liberty in pursuit of happiness. Now, we call them rights, and the Declaration of Independence calls them rights, but they are mercies. They are graces from the hand of God. They are blessings. And as a nation, we can legally argue that they're rights, but as individuals before a holy God, we must receive them as mercies and daily give thanksgiving for them. It is the biblical God and the biblical worldview that gives 
you the idea that human beings are precious because they're created in the image of God. Therefore, we desire that we personally and that others should have the right to life as image bearers. As Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says, let us, God speaking, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image, male and female. He created them. That's the foundation of Genesis. That's the foundation of the Word of God. That's the foundation of the biblical worldview. And that's the foundation of our nation. The Creator God created mankind in His image. We're not mere beasts. We're not evolved apes. We're not pond scum Walking, we're not fish philosophers, or fish that became philosophers. We're not cosmic accidents, the product of a big bang and eons of time. We are created in God's image for God's glory. And thus, human life is precious. And without that, human life is not precious. But our founding document starts with the Holy Creator God and thus human life is precious and we value it and we have a command from our God in His law and reiterated by Jesus Christ in the Gospels to love God and love our neighbor. All of the law summed up in these two commandments. And so out of love of God and love of neighbor, we have certain inalienable rights, the right to life. Liberty. Liberty. Again, what is this? This liberty. What gives us the idea that man ought to be free, that we ought to have liberty? The Word of God establishes liberty. The Word of God establishes that God would have a a certain amount of freedom given to humanity. And in that freedom, we prosper. In that freedom, we're able to glorify and serve Him. Now, we're not free to redefine what we are as men and women. We're not free to redefine what is sexual immorality and what is sexual morality. We're not free to reject God's law and decide that theft is moral. And mind you, Marxism is at its base level theft. Steal from those who work and produce to give to those who don't. And so let us embrace the Word of God and the worldview that comes from it and establish a government. That's essentially what our founding fathers did in the Declaration of Independence, giving us the certain inalienable right to life and liberty and pursuit of happiness. It does not guarantee happiness, but the pursuit of happiness. God makes nations great. And God built our nation on that declaration, built upon the truth of His Word, that human beings are precious because they're created in the image of God, and therefore Their life is precious and therefore they should be given liberty and they should be given the allowance to pursue happiness. Now we can't give them happiness. We can't mandate happiness. We can't make them all equal in the sense of having equal possessions. But we recognize they're all created equal. They're all created equal and they have equal opportunity to pursue happiness. Marxism rushes in and says we're going to make you all equal in your possessions. And we'll find that that is an equal misery. History has proven that out. It's an equal misery. But the Word of God allows us to pursue happiness in God's providence, pursue happiness with the abilities that God has given us. And the biblical worldview is 
reflected in that Declaration of Independence and the Constitution that follows. And I don't have time to read the Constitution, go through all of its amendments, but let's just start with the first one. Because God makes nations great, and the First Amendment is first for a reason. Because without the freedom of speech, every amendment to follow would fall. We must have free speech to be a free nation. In order for us to have life and liberty and to pursue happiness, there must be free speech. This is a tremendous gift of God given to you that you might open your mouth for the glory of God. That you might open your mouth to declare His law that is perfect, converting the soul. To declare His gospel, the good news that sinners can be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God makes nations great. And He's given us this Declaration of Independence built on a biblical worldview. He's given us this Constitution granting us the freedom of assembly, freedom of speech. And I must mention the Second Amendment, for I believe even that is born out of Scripture. I don't have time to go into that. There's a whole sermon on it, putting Christian pacifism to death. I highly recommend it. But let me say, the Second Amendment is designed to... Give us the right to keep and bear arms to throw off tyrants that would contradict our king. Our king in America is the Constitution. Not the president, not senators, not representatives, not governors. But when tyrants would override the Constitution, we are given the right by our king, king constitution, to throw off that tyranny. Now don't do so lightly or foolishly. But at some point, that may become necessary, and it's built into our Constitution. And for the most part, what that serves to do is what? Hold tyrants in check without the use of those arms, just the presence of them, just the reality that they're there. It holds tyrants in check. The framers of our Constitution were providentially given much wisdom and insight into the nature of man. But consider this. The Word of God says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fear holds sin in check. Whether it's fear of God or fear of authorities and the sword they bear or even fear of private citizens and the sword they bear. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. He makes nations great. And He has made our nation the greatest nation on earth the planet, because our nation's founding documents start with a recognition of the God of the Bible and that any rights and all laws ultimately should flow from there. And for most of America's histories, our jurisprudence, our laws, the laws that have bound us and freed us have been born out of Holy Scripture. He makes nations great and destroys them and destroys them. Great nations have come and gone. No nation as great as ours, I argue dogmatically. But great nations have come and they've gone. And this nation, as great as it is, will be dissolved as well. Will be destroyed as well. He destroys them at the end of the age when Christ comes and rules and reigns on this earth. That's for certain. But it may well be destroyed Long before that, without national repentance, without national revival, without an ardent declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
and a powerful movement of repentance and faith in Christ as king, we can expect God to destroy this nation. In fact, all signs would indicate that we are under the judgment of God. Pastor John MacArthur preached a sermon some time ago out of Romans 1, outlining how America is experiencing Romans 1, a giving over to our sin, to our immorality. And when he preached that, folks thought it was fairly accurate for what was going on at the time. But now, sometime later, it almost seems prophetic because it's gotten so much worse so rapidly. And so God makes nations great and destroys them. And He can destroy them, mind you. He can destroy them with the death of a criminal under the knee of a police officer on the street of Minneapolis. An unjust death. A murderous death. However, the man was a criminal. A career criminal. An abuser of women. And in God's providence, his sin found him out. Now the police officer must be held accountable and all like him. Those who unjustly wield the authority that God has entrusted to them. Nevertheless, would you have thought that the death of one man in the street of Minneapolis would lead to the burning of Portland? The burning of city after city across our land? Would you have thought some time ago that a few men could smuggle box cutters onto an airplane and take down the Twin Towers? wipe out one-fifth of the Pentagon and threaten the White House. No, you wouldn't have. But when God removes His hand of blessing, one little box cutter shall fell them. To borrow from Luther's great hymn, one little word shall fell him, speaking of Satan. When we join Satan against God, one little box cutter shall fell us. One death of one man in the street of Minneapolis will make our cities burn. One little virus will destroy our economy, close our churches, and make us all hide out in our homes. He makes nations great and destroys them. And it is no sweat off his brow. He need not raise up some great army. Do you not know that the very ground you stand on is a thin mantle over lava? Do you not know that the wind and the waves are in the hands of your God. Any number of things could wipe us out individually or corporately at any moment. And yet God holds them in check in His mercy until the hour of His mercy is over and the hour of His judgment has come. He makes nations great. And He has made America great. But as we turn our back on God, we are calling down His wrath upon us not recognizing, and He destroys them. The tragedy that I continually see in the midst of God's judgments, whether it's 9-11, whether it's our cities burning at the hands of the BLM rioters, or whether it's this COVID-19 virus, the great tragedy I see in America is the response of American pride the rally cry of American pride with the idea of that's what's going to see us through. Now, pride is the beginning of all sin and the foundation of all sin. And the Lord will bring our pride low. What we need is humility and brokenness beneath God. Oh, I believe in American exceptionalism. 
I do. Based upon those founding documents. And that's the America I love. The America built on the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. I don't love America's sin. I don't love America's rebellion. I don't love America's pride and the rainbow flag that now goes with it. And the audacity of our nation to have Pride Month in the middle of COVID-19 while our cities are burning is astonishing and horrifying, begging God to judge us. I pray God bless America with repentance and faith in Christ. I won't stop praying God bless America. I won't join the hard-hearted disciples who said to Jesus, should we call down fire? And Jesus is like looking at them. I can just see, what? No! Call down fire. No. There is a spirit of Jonah afoot in the body of Christ. We want America to be judged, it would seem. Well, I don't. I live here. My wife lives here. My children live here. My grandchildren live here. Your families live here. Our neighbors live here. People I'm commanded to love. I don't want to call judgment down on them. I want to call mercy down on them. I want to preach the gospel that mercy would fall upon them. It is an appalling hardness of heart that says, I won't sing God bless America. Let judgment come. It's foolishness and lovelessness. God bless America with repentance and faith. God bless America with humility. God bless America with wisdom from on high. Psalm 711 says, God is a just judge and God is angry with the wicked every day. God is just. And without His justice, we don't know what justice is. The whole idea of the social justice movement and the warriors that march off to war, they're not marching off with the concept of justice born out of Scripture. They've gotten their concept of justice from the left, from God-haters. And they're not bringing justice to the earth. They're bringing oppression to their fellow man. God is a just judge. And God is angry with the wicked every day. And yet He's merciful and kind every day that He doesn't unleash that judgment. But we cannot presume upon it because if He does not turn back, He will sharpen His sword. He bends His bow and makes it ready. He also prepares for Himself instruments of death and He makes His arrows into fiery shafts. His sword is sharp. Glittering, Scripture says. He bends his bow. He is sharpening his sword. He is bending his bow and making it ready. The arrow is notched. It is set. The bow is bent. But wait. He also prepares for himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shafts. And he will burn down our cities and our nation over our head. If we'll not repent. He'll burn it all. We are not mighty except that God allow us to be mighty. When God removes His hand of blessing, any number of seemingly inconsequential threats, non-threats even, can and will destroy us. He'll burn it all down. And what will be our job then? What will be our disposition as believers then? Revelation 16.7 captures it. Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. 
We side with God against America's sin. Oh, yes. We side with God and God's judgments on America's sin. Oh, yes. And should God destroy it all, we will side with God against America. Even so, Lord, God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Perfect, true, righteous, and merciful. I truly am astonished at God's mercy in our nation. I'm astonished. I'm shocked at what He has allowed. And here's what I know. If we'll not repent, the hour of mercy will soon end. And judgment will come. And these United States will no longer be united. And the safety and security and prosperity that we know because of these providential gifts called the Declaration of Independence that we just celebrated and the Constitution that followed it, these gifts will burn with our cities. It will all be undone. And we will righteously be compelled to stand with our Lord and say, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Happy Independence Day, dear saints. And I mean that. I mean that. You should celebrate the historic Independence Day. And you should celebrate the results, the manifold, multiplied, manifest results and blessings of that day in your life and in the lives of your family. The prosperity you enjoy, the freedom you enjoy, the security, the safety you enjoy. Your money is, generally speaking, safe. Your home is, generally speaking, safe. Your children are, generally speaking, safe. Your future, barring the judgment of God, is, generally speaking, safe. We live in the safest, securest, most prosperous, freest nation the Lord has ever made great. But should we not repent, He will destroy us like many that He's destroyed before us. By God's Gracious providence, America's Declaration of Independence and Constitution established the freest and greatest nation on the planet. America is worthy of celebration. America is worthy of flag-waving. America is worthy of fireworks. America is worthy of a heartfelt declaration of God bless America. I say that without hesitation and without apology to anyone and everyone. COVID-19, insanity aside, there's never been a nation where you're freer to serve, worship, and preach the Lord Jesus Christ in the home, the church, and the streets. There's no nation where red, yellow, black, and white men and women have more equality and opportunity to pursue happiness to the glory of God. Every nation has its evils, but America alone is founded on documents that establish the God-given inalienable right to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and the freedom of speech that allow us to boldly proclaim God's word, God's law, and God's gospel from sea to shining sea to set sinners free from the tyranny of sin, Satan, death, and man-made governments. The solution To America's sin isn't to hate America, it's to pray for God to bless America with repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. It's to die to self and take up the cross of Jesus Christ. It's to go, therefore, and preach repentance and remission of sin in Jesus' name to all nations, beginning with our own. Hating America isn't a Christian virtue. Hear that again, because there are many in the biblical Christian realm that think it is. Hating America isn't a Christian 
virtue. Rome was a profoundly wicked nation. Yet you never find Jesus or the apostles hating on Rome in the New Testament. Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor over the providence of Judea that unjustly condemned the Lord Jesus to death and had him crucified. The Apostle Paul was persecuted throughout his entire ministry by Roman officials and finally beheaded in Rome under the rule of Nero. Do you find them railing against and hating Rome? You do not. Where do you find the most thorough proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the New Testament? Amazingly, it was written on behalf of Jesus by Paul, quote, to all who are in Rome. And it's actually named Romans. The finest declaration, the clearest declaration, the most thorough declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ was written on behalf of Jesus by the Apostle Paul to all those in Rome. And there is not a single railing word against the Roman government that put Jesus to death. It would later put Paul to death. Romans 13 will be the obvious place for the Holy Spirit to compel Paul to unleash the inspired holy hatred for Rome. But you find the exact opposite. Paul says this to Roman Christians living in Rome under the rule of unjust and often cruel Roman government officials. The same officials that put Paul himself to death and put his Lord to death. The Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, and Nero. Romans 13.1 Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God and that would obviously include as he's writing to the Christians in Rome the Roman government. An unjust government. A government that would later put Paul to death that had already put the Lord Jesus to death. A government that sanctioned slavery, a government that sanctioned not abortion, they hadn't gotten there yet, but the abandonment of newborn children that they might die, the same thing in effect, the murder of babies. Verse 2, therefore whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves, because God appointed this nation's government. Now, not all nations are created equal. We live in the greatest nation on the planet. We have more freedoms than any people have ever enjoyed. But God ordained government. And the worst government is better than no government, generally speaking. No government results in the tyranny of every individual sinner. Every man doing what's right in his own eyes. Oppressing every neighbor, every woman, every child. Everyone suffers. As a rule, even the worst of tyrants, even the Saddam Husseins of the world, bring less heartache, havoc, starvation, and death to humanity than unchecked humanity. Humanity ungoverned. Romans 13.3 For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good. And you will have praise for the same, for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. 
And so we're subject to these authorities because God has established these authorities and He has given them the sword that they might keep order. He has given them the sword that they might enforce law for the good of the whole. Now, will there be exceptions? Will there be unjust sword bearers? Certainly. And yet, God has ordained government and the sword bearer. The whole idea of defund the police is entirely contrary to the Word of God. It will unleash anarchy. How did that work for Chop or Chaz? How did that beautiful microcosm of distilled Marxism work out where they defunded the police? How did black lives matter work out in Chaz or Chop there in Seattle? Well, two black men were murdered. That's how it worked out. Anarchy resulted. Oppression resulted. Marxism always comes in, whether it's under the the banner of Black Lives Matter or another, it always comes in and says, we're going to liberate you. And as soon as the party of liberation is over, the oppression begins. They threw off capitalism in chats, and they immediately were oppressed by their fellow tyrants because every unchecked sinner is a tyrant. And so we find... The Apostle Paul uplifting the government of Rome as a government that God has established, uplifting the authorities, the, the ministers of vengeance under the government of Rome who are avengers who execute wrath on him who practices evil. That's God's design for government. Are there governments that do that better than others? Absolutely. Are there governments who abuse that power? Absolutely. But no government results in greater suffering than these governments that God has ordained, even a government such as the government of Rome. And hear me, the United States of America is a far cry from Rome. We live in the greatest nation on the planet. The Apostle Paul continues, he says in verse 6, For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Taxes to Rome. Customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Oh, no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. God has established government. There are blessings in being beneath that government. Our nation is the greatest nation he has ever made great. And it still is because our nation is not these sins that individuals in our nation are committing. Our nation is that declaration of independence and that constitution. And we need to call our nation back to it and back to the God they were speaking of in that declaration of independence. We've looked at the greatest apostle, the Lord Jesus, sent from heaven to earth. We've looked at the apostle Paul and how they were not haters of Rome. Let's go one apostle further. Extra biblical history tells us that the apostle Peter was crucified upside down by Roman authorities in Rome. And yet Paul wrote what he wrote. And yet Jesus had nothing to say against Rome. And Peter himself wrote this in 1 Peter 2.17, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Honor the king, not hate the king. 
Honor the king, not sit at home embittered toward the king. Honor the king. Hate America's sin. Don't hate the star-spangled red, white, and blue hand that God's providence used to make us the freest people to ever walk the planet. Instead, love God and love America by using the unprecedented freedom God has given you for the glory of God and the redemption of sinners through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, by using the unparalleled freedom that God has given you to proclaim the truth of God's law, that it might revive America's conscience and turn America from its sins. Unbelief, idolatry, false religion, false Christ, pride, lust, fornication, homosexuality, gender rebellion, sexual perversion of every kind, and abortions, unconscionable murder of 63 million babies since Roe versus Wade. 1,000 black babies a day, primarily murdered in Planned Parenthood. Oh, that we would use this amazing freedom that God has given us to lovingly warn individual Americans and America as a whole that the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Hear me, brothers and sisters. If we do not labor for the gospel in this hour, then the God who makes nations great and destroys them will destroy our nation. Destruction is coming. Revival or destruction? That's what's before us. For the wicked shall be turned into hell individually, and all the nations that forget God. We have systematically forgotten God. Systematically and deliberately forgotten God. And even that is part of a Marxist agenda. As they took over our schools and taught our children that they're the products of a big bang, they're evolutionary accidents, there is no God. They laid the groundwork for Bernie Sanders and the Marxist revolution that Black Lives Matter has brought to city after city across our land. It's all coordinated. Vody Bauckham says they took the robes. They took the judges' seats. They took the senators' seats in the House of Representatives. And they took the professors' seats. And guess what? They've taken a great many pastoral seats as well. All those positions that wear robes, that speak to people. Oh, and they took the media. They took the media. They took Hollywood. They took the news, both newspapers and newscasters on the cable networks. And so, make no mistake, if we fail to use the gift of freedom that God has bestowed on us to advance His kingdom in the earth, our freedom will soon be gone. In our apathy and self-love, we have squandered this great gift and a selfish and futile attempt to get our best life now. That is the universal Christian disposition. We're squandering this great gift of freedom in our apathy and self-love. We're not laboring to advance the kingdom. We're not willing to sacrifice anything. We're not speaking to our neighbors the law of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're just trying to get our best life now in a fallen world, which is frankly stupid. Your best life is coming in a new world, a new heaven, a new earth, in which only righteousness dwells. If this great experiment called America fails, if God who makes nations great and destroys them, destroys us as He ought to for our colossal sins, then what? 
then God will raise up men who will willingly suffer and die to advance the kingdom of Christ through the preaching of God's law and gospel without the protection of the rights and freedoms that the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution currently afford us. That's what. Like every generation before us, men rose up and preached the law of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ in the teeth of the lion, in the face of certain persecution. Calvin's seminary was called a seminary of death because when they graduated, they had written out their own copy of God's Word with their own hand and they marched off to war knowing they were going to die, knowing that the forces of Rome were going to put them to death. Oh, that we would have that kind of vision to live as Christ, to die as gain. I don't want to live just to stay alive just to stay alive as long as I can. Are you just trying to stay alive in a fallen world, a sin-affected world, where everyone around you is dying? I want to, by the grace of God, embrace the reality of to live as Christ, to die as gain. For those who have certain glory ahead of them, why would we live just to live? Live for Christ, that others might live. That he would live in them. To live as Christ. To die as gain. I have no death wish. But to live as Christ. And to die as gain. I'd far rather live the adventure that Christ has called me to. Right? Read the book of Acts. They weren't just trying to stay alive. They were serving Christ, their king. Advancing the kingdom of the earth. And they were suffering for it. And they were dying that others would live. Isn't it interesting? That every blockbuster movie, like Star Wars, the saga, or Lord of the Rings, or even the Harry Potter series, right? These movies, what are they about? A great struggle between good and evil. And they're willing to do what to defeat evil? To suffer, to sacrifice, and to die to defeat evil. Because the evil was real. And it was essential to defeat it. And they saw that clearly. And so they were willing to suffer. And those around them were willing to suffer. People around Luke suffered, right? People around the heroes of Lord of the Rings suffered. I don't know all their names. People around Harry, I got that, suffer, right? Why? Because it's worth it for the cause. And Christians, non-Christians, they'll watch this. And yes, that's great. And many other movies and stories and even real history, right? We'll watch history of World War I, history of World War II. We'll read books about it, read books about these heroes. And say, yeah, we'll even read biographies, far better than the movies. Biographies of actual Christian heroes. And say, yes and amen to them suffering. But as a rule, as excited as we get about those movies, as excited about those World War II and World War I and Korean War vets as we get, as excited as we get about our Christian missionary heroes, and I hope as excited as you get about the Christian apostolic heroes in the pages of Holy Writ, we don't seem to get that we have one precious life to give for the great struggle against evil. We have one precious life to give for the glory of our King. And it's worthy of giving, should we be called upon to give it. It's certainly worthy of risking. I have risked my life for foolish things. Oh, to risk my life, my liberty, to 
risk it all for Christ, for His glory, for souls. That is no great price, for Christ has paid the greatest price of all. Oh, that we would use our unparalleled freedom that God has given us to proclaim the truth of God's law, that it might revive America's conscience and turn America from its sins. Oh, that we would use the amazing freedom that God has given us to lovingly warn individual Americans in America as a whole that the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. If we'll not do it, judgment will come and God will raise up others who will knowingly march to war and suffer. That's what God did before America. That's what He'll do after America. Until Christ returns to put all His enemies beneath His feet and rule and reign forever. Hear me. The kingdom of Christ will prevail. The gates of hell shall not prevail. The wicked governments of men shall not prevail. No earthly government will. But they may well imprison, behead, crucify, stone, boil, or shoot you or faithful gospel preachers that you love. Freedom is a precious gift. Use it to deliver the most precious gift, the gospel, while you've got it. And take some time to eat some apple pie, to wave the flag, to light some fireworks, to smell the gunpowder, and reflect on the gift of freedom that will soon be gone if we don't stand up now like soldiers of Christ and fight a good fight for Christ our King. In a speech that is known as the man in the arena, Teddy Roosevelt said this, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory or defeat. Be all in for Christ. Teddy Roosevelt wasn't talking about the Great Commission or advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ in the earth, but that is the greatest application of what he was talking about. Don't live just to stay alive. Don't live safe. Don't live cautious. Be all in for Christ. For His glory. Now not throwing wisdom to the wind, but not retreating further and further from the battle line that is raging. Raging. And hear me, you can only retreat so far. They're coming for you. They're coming for you. They're coming for you and your children. You can only retreat so far. The battle is raging. Our mission is to take Portland for Christ. Our mission is that Christ our King would rule in our city, our state, our nation, and on this planet. Don't be satisfied with anything less. That's the mission. When Jesus died and rose again, He came back to His disciples and He said, go sit down and wait for heaven. No. He said, all authority 
has been given unto me. I am the highest authority. Go therefore against all the authorities of this world, for they will stand against you as you stand for me. I am the authority. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples. Understand that. There's a conflict in authorities. Christ is the supreme authority of the cosmos. He is the conqueror of sin and Satan and death on our behalf. He is our commander and chief. He is our true and eternal king. And he says, I have been given all authority. Go therefore, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. Oh, that we would risk much. Oh, that we would be bold in that. Oh, that we would be decidedly in the fight. Not half-heartedly, not occasionally, but decidedly. Until this world puts us to death or Christ calls us home. Pastor John MacArthur said, I think many people alter the gospel not to make it easier for people to believe, but they alter the gospel to take the heat off themselves for presenting it. End quote. Self-love shuts our mouths entirely or compels us to carefully nuance, truncate, or alter God's Word, God's law, and God's gospel in an attempt to avoid offending men and women who hate our God. Our apathetic silence and suppression of God's truth purchase us peace with those who are warring against our God. Why do we do it? Why do we nuance? Why do we truncate? Why do we alter God's Word, God's law, and God's gospel? in an attempt to appease, in an attempt to make peace with men and women who hate our God. Our apathetic silence and suppression of God's truth purchase us peace with those who are warring against our God. It's sedition toward God and hatred toward perishing sinners. Christianity and the Bible will soon be outlawed in post-Christian America and the Western world if Christians continue this pervasive pattern of cowardice. God Himself will be outlawed by the very lawless, leftist, God-hating proponents of pre-born baby genocide, sodomite perversion, Marxist slavery, and BLM race-baiting that we're afraid of offending. All it takes for evil to prevail is for Christians to be apathetic and silent. Again, John MacArthur says this, many in the church today seem to believe you must have an angle to present the gospel to a hostile world. You must be indirect and winsome and simplistic and careful not to turn anyone off. And if, God forbid, someone should be offended or reject the message, it means you have failed. Is that a biblical perspective? No, it's not. End quote. Evil prospers when Christians attempt to get their best life now and avoid the hatred of their God-hating friends, family, co-workers, and neighbors. Christian self-love, silence, and suppression of God's truth allow evil to go unchecked and to grow. Why are there still a billion souls perishing under the Antichrist Pope, priest, and soul-damning sacraments of Roman Catholicism over 500 years after the Protestant Reformation began? Christian self-love, silence, and suppression of God's truth. Why is the ugly, misogynist, murderous, bloody reign of Islam advancing rapidly in the earth? Christian self-love, silence, and suppression of God's truth. 
Why are 125,000 preborn babies violently slaughtered every day in the most horrific genocide the world has ever known? Christian self-love, silence, and suppression of God's truth. Why is every kind of sexual perversion and deviancy growing? Christian self-love, silence, and suppression of God's truth. Why are leftist ideals and Marxism advancing in the West and amongst professing Christians in the visible church, despite their moral bankruptcy and proven track record of unleashing cruel oppression, starvation, mass murder, tyranny, and state-enforced atheism, Christian self-love, silence, and suppression of God's truth. Evil prospers when Christians attempt to get their best life now and avoid the hatred of their God-hating friends family, co-workers, and neighbors. Of all those evils I just mentioned, there are a plethora, there are a multitude of Christian leaders and average Christians who line up to say, oh, you can be a Christian in that too, or you can be a, uh, a Christian and be at peace with Islam, or Islam's another way to God, or I just don't know if Muslims go to hell or not, and, or Islam, don't you, don't you remember this? And, in the wake of 9-11, oh, this, this was so deeply disturbing. A multitude of Christian leaders stood up to say, Islam is a beautiful religion. It's from the pit of hell. It's about the most horrific, imaginable religion that man has ever conjured under the influence of the devil himself. And yet Christian leaders stood up in droves saying it was a beautiful religion. The Bible tells us Satan is the father of lies. In John 8, 44, the Lord Jesus says, You are of your father, the devil, and the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. We need no supporting evidence to know it's true. Nevertheless, Marxism's successful infiltration into Christianity is irrefutable evidence of the power and danger of satanic deception. Biblical Christians oppose woke social justice, Black Lives Matter, Marxist revolution in the church. Ignorant Christians and false converts militantly preach it and promote it in their local churches, in their conferences, with their books. Hear me, saints. Black Lives Matter isn't about saving black lives. An article from 2014 titled Black Sheriff says if black lives mattered, they'd protest at abortion clinics, exposes BLM's gross hypocrisy. Quoting the article, CNN's Poppy Harlow interviewed Milwaukee Sheriff David Clark about the recent protests that summoned the black community have sparked after police-related deaths of Michael Brown and Eric Garner. Harlow asked the sheriff, who has been on several news shows on Fox and others, about a tweet he sent out implying that if black lives mattered, the protesters would be outside of abortion clinics because of the high numbers of black babies killed by abortion. The tweet sent by Sheriff Clark, a black man himself, was sent to Mitch Smith, journalist in the Chicago Bureau of the New York Times. Apparently, Sheriff Clark read Teddy Roosevelt's quote, He's not living safe. 
The tweet went like this, quote, If only these faux protesters were asked by media about all the black-on-black killing or black babies aborted in the U.S. every year. A simple one-sentence statement that blows the lid off the Black Lives Matter movement and exposes it to be the Black Lies movement. Over 1,000 black babies are murdered every day in America and largely by planned parenthood. Why aren't the Black Lives Matter folks outside of the abortion clinics? Because they're about Marxism, not saving lives. Black Lives Matter is a Marxist tool. It's about advancing Marxism. Black Lives Matter is about Marxism, not saving black lives. One recent article from a Christian organization accurately notes what is now common knowledge. Quote, Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Cullors said, quote, we are trained Marxists. We are trained Marxists. Marxism is important for Christians to understand because it's ideology that pushes atheism and persecutes Christians. The Chinese believers understand this better than most because they are still suffering under the banner of Marxism. Karl Marx said religion is the opium of the people and taught that his fight for the oppressed people and religion were incompatible. History has shown that more Christians have died from communist Marxism than any other single ideology in the history of man. Marxism has been tried on nearly every continent in different nations by different cultures, but there has never been a nation on earth that has adopted Marxist teaching and not systematically killed Christians, not one, not ever. From the gulags in Russia to the death camps in North Korea, to red terror in Ethiopia, to the killing fields of Cambodia, to cultural revolution in China, Marxism has been one of the most brutal Christian killing machines in history. BLM doesn't specifically note that they are Marxist on their website, but co-founder Patrice Cullors clarified her organization's Marxist goals during that interview in which she said, we are trained Marxists. A brief look at a few statements taken directly from the Black Lives Matter website. Quote, We are guided by the fact that all Black Lives Matter, regardless of actual or perceived sexual identity, gender identity, gender expression, economic status, ability, disability, religious beliefs or disbeliefs, immigrant status, or location. What is that? Well, it shows you it's not just about black lives. It's about perceived or actual sexual identity. It's about gender identity. It's about gender expression. The very next paragraph says, we are self-reflexive and do the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege. They're actively laboring to dismantle cisgender privilege and to uplift black trans folk, especially black trans women, who continue to be disproportionately impacted by trans antagonistic violence. Cisgender means this, denoting or relating to a person whose sense of personal identity and gender corresponds with their birth sex. If you're a man and you think you're a man, yeah, that's you, you're cisgender. And so cisgender privilege. The fact that you're not delusional, the fact that you're not a pervert, means you have been privileged. No, it means you're not delusional and you've not embraced perversion. 
It is sexual perversion. And we need to be able to say that out of love for them and not act like this is normal. Do you know that the psychologists saw this behavior as a psychological malady and disorder until very recently? And suddenly science, right? The science of psychology is not a science. The science of psychology had a, a realization that, wow, this is not a mental malady. This is not a mental malfunction. They're not behaving in a way that's self-destructive and destructive to society on a sociological level. This is normal, natural, and wonderful and should be embraced by all. Madness has come upon our society. They go on to say, we practice empathy. We engage comrades with the intent to learn about and connect with their context. Comrades, an obvious term taken right out of the Marxist playbook. We dismantle patriarchal practice. They want to dismantle male leadership in the home and in society. We disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. Where did the West get the nuclear family structure? The Bible the Word of God. We foster a queer-affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking. Heteronormative thinking. This is a united rebellion against God. It's Psalm 2 put into a statement mixed with Marxism. It's just absolute madness. One more. We cultivate an intergenerational and communal network free of ageism. We believe that all people, regardless of age, show up with the capacity to lead and learn. Because, see, it's easy to convince young people of their Marxist lies, of their sexually perverted lies, of their cisgender lies, of their intersectionality lies, and then to march them as to war with the banner of communism going before. And that's how this revolution has happened in nation after nation. In those killing fields of Cambodia, it was the young teenagers with their machetes lopping their parents to death. And anyone else who wasn't on board with their Marxist agenda. Or just putting those, those handy plastic bags over their heads and suffocating them and pushing them down into the rice paddies. They use the young people. They get into the schools. That's what's going on. And it's the young people burning down our cities in the name of BLM right now. One final quote on Marxism from Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom from 1940 to 1945 when he led the country to victory in the Second World War. He said this, quote, The inherent vice of capitalism is the unequal sharing of blessings. The inherent virtue of socialism, or Marxism, is the equal sharing of miseries. Brilliant quote. If your church supports Marxism openly or in its deceptive, woke, social justice BLM guys, get out. Don't waste your life on Marxist revolution. Find a true pastor in a true church that hasn't been infiltrated by Satan's Marxist false teachers. Find a true pastor in a true church that's keeping the main thing, the main thing, and the glory of God and the salvation of sinners through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ is always the main thing. 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 4 says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Christ has enlisted us that we might endure hardship as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. And if we won't soldier for the gospel that Christ would rule in the hearts of men, the soldiers of Marx are coming for us. 
The soldiers of BLM are coming for us. The soldiers of homosexuality are coming for us. The soldiers of intersectionality are coming for us. Their marching is to war. And Christians are busy acting like it's peacetime. Peace is coming. A new heavens and new earth is coming. Now we've been called to war for Christ. Jesus Christ said to the Apostle Paul and every other Christian under the Great Commission command, this in Acts 26, 17. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles. What? Deliver you from the Jewish people as well as the Gentiles? Because he's at war. He's going everywhere preaching the gospel. And these two governments, the Jews and the Gentiles, the Roman government, the Gentiles, were opposing the authority of Christ. Christ, who said, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth, go therefore and make disciples, recognized that we would be opposed by earthly authorities. That's why he said, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth, go therefore and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to observe all things that I have commanded. And so he says to Paul and us through him in Acts 26, 17, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. What's the mission? He has sent us to do what? To open their eyes in order to turn them from the darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Christ has sent us, knowing there's opposition. He has sent us that we might open their eyes. Oh, we're all good Calvinists, right? Amen? Well, God has a means to His sovereign end of salvation. He uses us. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. We must open our mouths that eyes would be opened in order to turn them from darkness to light. No one is saved in a vacuum. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. I send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness, the darkness of homosexuality, the darkness of fornication, the darkness of baby genocide, murdering our own children, the darkness of Black Lives Matter, the darkness of Marxism. I send you to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Oh, that they would be set free from the power of Satan to God. But God has a means, saints. And it's you and I. It's you and I. Charles Spurgeon said, Where would the Reformation have been if its great preachers had confined themselves to churches and cathedrals? How would the common people have been indoctrinated with the gospel had it not been for those far-wandering evangelists, the coal porters, and those daring innovators who found a pulpit on every heap of stones and an audience chamber in every open space near the abodes of men? What the world would have been if there had not been more preaching outside of the walls and beneath a more glorious roof than these rafters of fur i am sure i cannot guess it was a brave day for england when whitfield began field preaching when wesley stood and preached a sermon on his father's grave at epworth because the parish priest would not allow him admission within the so-called sacred edifice mr wesley writes i am well assured that i did far more good to my lincolnshire parishioners by preaching three days in my father's tomb than i did by preaching three years in his pulpit 
No sort of defense is needed for preaching out of doors, but it would need very potent arguments to prove that a man had done his duty who had never preached beyond the walls of his meeting house. A defense is required rather for the services within the buildings than for the worship outside of them. Apologies are certainly wanted for architects who pile up brick and stone into the skies when there is so much need for preaching rooms among poor sinners down below. Unquote. Saints, I still say and sing, God bless America. And so should you and every other Christian. May God bless America with repentance of its rebel insurrection against the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May God bless America with repentance of its lustful, heterosexual, sexual revolution and the resulting horrific genocide of 63 million unborn babies. May God bless America with repentance of its rabid embrace and national celebration of gross sexual perversion and gender rebellion. Men and women arrogantly refusing to be what God created them to be in the name of pride. May God bless America with repentance of its astounding, self-destructive, foolish pride. As Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction. May God bless America with preachers who will boldly and lovingly preach God's sin-exposing law and soul-saving gospel in the pulpit and on the street, calling all men and women to repent of their soul-damning, nation-destroying pride. And all of God's saints said, Amen. Let's pray.